you know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, <laughs> I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f- best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. What these young bloods have to understand, that this game has always been and will always be about buckets. Just attack the basket. Buckets, brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. My name's Matt Moore. I'm the senior NBA writer for the Action Network, and this is your How to Bet NBA Totals episode. Not win totals, we're talking game totals today. So throughout the rest of the offseason, we are going to be ramping up, giving you guides on discussion on the process of betting the NBA. I'm going to have all of our panel of experts weigh in, and we're going to talk about how to bet awards, how to bet MVP, how to bet Rookie of the Year, how to bet Six Man, how to bet divisions, how to bet conferences. We're going to talk about uh, how to build positions throughout the course of the season. We're talking about the process of betting the NBA, and no, I do not mean Joel Embiid because you should not bet on him again this year. Uh, we will talk about all those things and more, and we start today. Very excited to be joined by the one only Austin Wang, you can catch him on the Action Network. He's provided us with great content for years and years and years, especially on Total. I'm extremely excited to have Austin on. We're going to talk all things totals today. A reminder, everything we talk about today can be found in the award-winning Action Network app. You can track your bets in there. Get ready for football season. All of our podcasts are in there, including if you are a college football person and you enjoy college football and you want to bet on it, go check out Big Bets on Campus. Their their previews for this upcoming season, I listen to all of them every year. They are amazing. Like, I don't even have the bandwidth to to cover and deal with college football most of the time, but Stucky and Colin do such an amazing job, along with Mike and the rest of those guys. They do such an incredible job. Make sure to check it out, and you can find that in the Action Network app as well, as you can find projections on the games that we're going to talk about. You can find all sorts of numbers, our betting calculators, so you can figure out implied probability. Check it out, the Action Network app. Go download that right now. Austin, thanks so much for coming on, man. Excited to have you with us as we're going to talk a little bit about totals today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm very excited. First show I've done with you, Matt, um, in my three seasons covering the NBA at Action Network. I'm really excited to be here. Uh, when you asked me to be on here, I, I started looking up some stats and refreshing uh, the last NBA season, and just it, it got the juices flowing. I've been in the WNBA, NFL mode, MLB mode for the last two months, and, and this got me really excited for the new season. Yeah, so let's start here uh, by talking a little bit about totals. I, I guess I would ask you from the kind of the right off the top, 
what's your process for determining the value on totals? Do you start with a number that you've got? Do you just look at the number to, to evaluate uh, the factors? Is it uh, based off of trends first and then work backwards? What's your process for identifying the totals on any given night in the slate that you want to target? Yeah, absolutely. So my process is a bit of a two-step process. I use a modeling approach where um, I use as a baseline to arrive at a projected score for each game. So it starts off um, you know, using the raw data and, and the pr- average to- um, data for the entire season. And then as the season goes on, I weigh in uh, different splits, home away splits, uh, the last five games, and essentially, I come up with a projected score for each game on the slate. And then, as you know, I'm an avid user of SDQL, the sports data query language. I have about 60 historically profitable systems, both total and spread, that I then incorporate and adjust into those raw numbers to arrive at an updated projected outcome. Then I compare those against the market totals and, and spreads to see if I can find an edge. So I, I think one, I, I love trends for totals. I think a little bit more even than sides, to be quite honest, because I think that there's a little bit of stability across how these games play out, the situational spots and how they impact the way games are played, um, the impact of various teams in specific spots, coaching strategies, team strategies, player tendencies, those kinds of things. I find that it will be a little bit more stable on totals than across the others. Um, I'm very, I was very proud of my work last season on totals. I had a great ROI on totals last season, particularly on the unders um, compared to Austin. Mine's a little, mine's pretty similar. I've got my own model that incorporates half court and transition data. I focus a lot on the team level stuff to be able to evaluate what uh, my entire goal. When I started building a model is I was like, I want to know what does a team's, game look like like what type of game do they play do they play a lot in transition do they want to get up and down the floor not just from an offensive standpoint how much they focus on let's not let the opponent get in transition because we focus a lot on fast break opportunities or pace pace can be impacted by tempo which is you can run a half court offense and still get quick shots um and especially if you're a team that tries to defend a lot so at the base of this i think is the idea of I've said this kind of consistently. I do think it's tough to bet the NBA every night if you don't have a number that you're basing it off of. You can use it off of the Action Network projections that'll be in the app. Um, All of our our analysts typically have a number that they've arrived to. You can read that in the analysis that we provide nightly over at the Action Network. But you need to have some sort of, I think, sense of like a number to work from when you're talking about totals. Um, We'll talk about sides that later this week with, with Jay and Sean. And that... Sides, I think you can do a little bit more narrative. I think you can do a little bit more motivational spots, which is something we talk a lot about on here. But as far as totals go, Austin, like me personally, I have a really hard time with, or at least I did, like how to bet totals if I didn't have a number to compare it to initially. I'm not saying everybody here needs to go out and build and build a scripted language model, but I do think that you got to find some way to understand what do I think this number should be for this game. Absolutely, and and I love betting totals because of that that factor. I, I personally think it's easier because it factors out like a math equation. Um, I, I think you know it's it's a lot easier to try to figure out which team you know how how the total is going to is is going to show up rather than figuring out 
who's going to show up on a side or if there are injuries. Teams will still have a certain style of play, whether it's a fast or slow pace, uh, quality of offense and defense that fundamentally stays the same night in and night out, despite, you know, being, you know, playing three games in four nights or uh, having a significant rest advantage, um, disadvantage. So that's why I love betting totals. Uh, and I, I totally agree. I think that having a baseline, a projection is so important, especially for a daily sport like the NBA. Imagine going into a, like a 14-game slate on Wednesday night without a baseline model to, to reference. I mean, it's all about efficiency and having those projections, uh, at least something like it doesn't have to be too complicated. I usually like to keep it simple, um, but just, yeah, something that, that uh, projects pace, something that projects offensive efficiency, defensive efficiency to come out with a projected score that you can compare against what the market is. One of the things that's interesting with the NBA, I think, is, you know, with the NFL, you'll have these weeks where it's like, hey, the unders have been hitting at 58% for the first four weeks, but the sample size on that is so tiny compared to like the first four weeks of the NBA season because of the number of games that you're playing when you're playing once a week versus two to three times. So we do have these swings, though, that exist in the NBA. And this season was really interesting because from the very, ju- like, the get-go, I was like, whoa, scoring is way up. Like, it was crazy how much scoring went up last season. Not just volume. It wasn't pace, necessarily. It was efficiency. Like, teams teams and players were just putting up absolutely incredible numbers in terms of just making shots, effective field goal percentage, true shooting percentage, offensive rating, all these metrics were at uh, historic highs last season. It was incredible, and we saw that in the market. The average total year over year from 2022 to the 2022-23 season went from an average of 220 in the 21-22 season to 228 per killersports.com. What What I love about this, though, is, okay, so you have this massive jump in scoring so clearly like overs we're we're popping like nope nope 50.7 percent over under dead even the books accounted for it instantaneously like they were prepared for how those games played out their models reflected it absolutely perfectly on the aggregate obviously there's there's team variance in there but i think it's really fascinating that we wound up with an over under rate of 50.7 um, even in a season when we've got an eight-point differential year-over-year year in average total. Yeah, I thought that was interesting as well. But I think what, what you saw was it started really slow. It started slower in the season because you saw it in the mid-220s to begin the season, and then it really ramped up around the holidays, around the December time frame. So uh, after the All-Star break, games averaged 230.9 points per game. And I really, it was a really an unprecedented jump from – the 2021-2022 season to last season uh, because I was like 220 to 228. What could have accounted for such an unprecedented jump? And I think the 22 season was just – it was just an odd, odd season because you had the uh, rule changes. You had the shortened off season after the pandemic year. You had the Olympics, health and safety protocols. So if you look at all the games – um, the averages before the All-Star break in the 21-22 season, they were only averaging 217 points per game. And then if you looked at their averages after the All-Star break, it was 200. they were scoring 228 points per game. So it, if you're looking at it year over year, I think that's a, um, I don't know, I don't think that's a good basis of comparison to look at, uh, to compare those two years. Uh, I think last year we finally saw everyone healthy, 
Uh, we, we saw a true rep- representation of what teams and stars are at at their highest level. And I think the skill level is at an all-time, all-time high in the NBA. And on top of that, I think it's fueling an increased level of competition between superstars trying to outdo each other. Last season, there were so many epic performances. You know, Don, Donovan Mitchell and Damian Lillard, both with 70-point games. And you know, Giannis, Embiid, Luka, all having epic performances each night. I think they're just trying to outdo each other, leading to an increased um, you know, level of offensive performance that we haven't seen before. And I, and I expect it to continue this season. Yeah, I think we're just in that era, and I, I wrote a little bit about this after the finals about how I think offense, you need to have a high offensive floor now because of right. where the league is at. Like, I just think that that defense wins championships, I think it's kind of shifted to like, okay, but offense is going to be how you survive a lot of situations. Because if your offense can absolutely drop out, we saw what happened to the Celtics, we saw ultimately what happened to the Heat, um, all these teams, I think if you don't have a high offensive floor, you're just going to get outran in this current era so i, I want to talk a little bit about the spots that we can use and you you've mentioned the trends that you've kind of looked at and some of the key ones that we can kind of signal in on um no surprise here that it's more complicated than just rest because i think the teams operate differently in different rest spots i think there are certain teams that are like i'm exhausted i don't want to run I can't shoot. I just want to get in and out of here. And what it'll be is like the other team may put up a huge number, but their offensive rating will be terrible because they'll just be like, I just want to go home at the end of a road trip where this is three and four. Uh, Other teams might be like, okay, I'm tired. I'm not going to play defense, but I can still run up and down the floor and we can get shots up and the pace will be a little bit higher. Like they'll actually run a little bit faster in some of these spots. So I am kind of curious to you, what are some of the spots or factors that you use when you're looking from a trends perspective, trying to identify opportunities? One of my favorite spots is when two elite teams, uh, conference teams, uh, and I define that as a 60% win percentage or, or over, face each other. Uh, those are heavy to the unders. And it makes sense, right? It's a marquee game between uh, you know, two elite teams. Um, they um, usually have a history with one another. Uh, it will probably be a, a preview of a playoff matchup. And you know, towards the end of the season, of course, seeding matters as well. So they ramp up the defensive intensity. So you see those, those games tend to go under. So that's a, one of my favorite spots I like to look at. Another one you mentioned earlier, I think favorites on the tail end of a four-game road trip, those are heavy to unders. Like you mentioned, they're, you know, certain teams just are ready to go home and uh, they're not going to put out their best effort, especially on offense. Um, teams, another one that I like is teams that have had a consecutive stretch of games with a high assist to turnover ratio. Those are heavy to the overs. And I think uh, the, because you know the, they've played very well offensively, the efficiency is high, that tends to continue uh, in their next few games. And then over the last couple of seasons, we've seen a lot of these one and one series where teams face each other um, uh, within, you know, one after another or shortly afterwards. So uh, one one of my favorite angles is if a team has faced a team um, within one week of another and the rematch uh, and the total is less than their previous game, those tend to go under as well. Yeah, uh, it's it's funny. It's kind of brings me back to the playoffs too, where when these when these teams start to play each other, you see this cumulative effect, and the under is getting a lot more value as it goes along. Um, the other thing I've noticed there is you can kind of track the market on some of this too, which is obviously another kind of facet that we we get into, and you can find all that information again on the Action Network. They'll tell you a lot where the money's coming in, how these things moved, but that's like 
that's been one of the fascinating things about it was um, I forget. I think it was the Celtics Heat series was when I found that when the the total drops a ton between five and six or four and five, if there's a huge move in the other in towards the under, the under is still profitable. It outperforms even that expectation. Like that's a that is it's not a moment to kind of play against the market move. Um, that does kind of take me to another question though I have for you, which is. How often do you look at the extreme ends of any given night to see if there's an outlier number? If it's like a 244, you know, total on some, there was a couple of absurd Wizards ones last season early on, like 244s and stuff like that. We saw some crazy totals. Or on the other end, if you spot like one that's, whoa, that's like way low for where we're at. If our average total last season was 220 and there's a 212 hanging in the market, What's your approach when you see a, a number that is significantly outside of the normal ranges that we see night to night in the NBA as far as totals go? Right. Well, if you look at historical data, and this doesn't include last season because there's a bit of an outlier last season, but if you look at you know five, six seasons past, all the low totals uh, have tended to go under, and all the extremely high totals have tended to go over. Um, and you know the, the the totals are that high for a reason and low for a reason. Um, and, and the stats back it up. So yeah, usually they have a co- compounding effect and I usually account for that. And I usually target those low totals, uh, betting unders on those low totals and overs on those uh, high totals as well. But last year was a bit different. Totals over 235 were 58% to the under with the exception of maybe Kings, Rockets and Wizards. Uh, most other teams, you know, when they had a total that high, um, those tend to go to the under. So the market really made you pay a premium for those totals and they didn't really live up to those expectations. I I think it's interesting to see the ways that team impacts can vary throughout the course of a season. Um, When we look at the styles that some of these teams take, I think that there, there are definitely a lot of times where there's a resistance from the books that their power rating has a certain team offensively a little bit lower than, and it takes a while for the, the market to catch up to it. We saw that with the jazz last season, which were a great over team that the Jazz's offense, which is a lot better than I think their players were necessarily projected at. Um, and I think that conversely, we see a lot of times where there's a resistance to a team on the defensive end, or there's kind of this idea of like the offensive floor is a little bit higher. And maybe that's like an opportunity. Like the Hornets were at the best under team last season at 48 and 34. Um, last season for full full regular season numbers um that's a 42 percent mark for the over that's obviously really low that's a, a high level of of coverage there we've got on the roi um i think like charlotte's a good example of this where there was kind of a the the, the numbers never really kind of accounted for how much they underperformed and i think that some teams i think get a lot of attention and they will catch on to how they're playing differently. But there are times I think when the market continues to not be able to accurately represent. And I'm always curious as to, to why that is and what the, what the sources of that are. Um, but I think, you know, a lot of it with Charlotte was obviously injuries and tanking and, and it does kind of show you I'm kind of zeroed in right now. And one of the stuff that I've worked on a lot in the off season is focusing on being able to identify player impacts. And so as part of that discussion, I'm looking at the idea. I'm trying to kind of incorporate some of the cluster injury conversation from NFL where I want to know like, okay, 
what happens to your defense if not only you lose your starting center, but your backup center is hurt too? So you're down to like third string. How much is that going to impact the game, the spread, and what should be the the, the corresponding impact on the total? I think those are type of things that I'm very interested in finding out uh, from a like a, a player perspective. But I'm kind of curious on your thoughts on how to identify team play style and team factors and how the market kind of treats these teams throughout the course of a season. Yeah, I certainly agree. And that's what, where you mentioned the short-term trends come into account, but more, but I consider the short-term trends as more of a supplemental support to make a play rather than a primary reason. I mm. still think they hold some value, but there's got to be something in there if the trends that way. But I think it's important to know why the reason, you know, a team, trend is going under or over and understand if you think the market has made the proper adjustments yet. So in that case, when you're talking about the Charlotte Hornets, you know, LaMelo ball um, was, was injured most of the year. And I think the market just never caught on because they're factoring the, you know, even when he was in, he was not a hundred percent. He was rusty. He was obviously not looking like himself. And I think the market still priced in the fact that, Hey, it's LaMelo ball. One of the best point guards in the league, uh, you know, drives the uh, really fast pace. And so they continue to keep the, the totals much higher than they should have been. And so you're right. I, I, I like to look at player injuries as well on top of, you know, when I put together my, uh, my model and factor in the situational trends. If I see, I think one instance was a couple years ago, especially when uh, Bismack Biombo was uh, playing on the Charlotte Hornets. I think when uh, Mason Plumley was out and Biombo was listed as a starter, I think they went, they hit, the under at an astronomical rate because, you know, obviously the offense is going to get worse. The defense is going to get better. So you're looking for those type of relationships um, with, with these injuries and seeing how that impacts the style of play. Of course um, the, the market would never adjust too much um, with, with Biombo uh, listed as a starter, but uh, I saw that as a great opportunity to hit the under. Numbers get sharper as the year goes on. We talk about that all the time here. That as the year goes on, the books get smarter and those those uh, numbers adjust. I will say I find that totals are a little bit more liquid than sides. I think side. I think totals you still have some of the opportunities. I think that's where maybe I actually I think one of my strategies I think coming for this upcoming season is second half. I think I'm going to focus a lot more on historical trends actually and not not necessarily start there. But if there's a number that I like. I'm going to look at like whether the historical trend markers in that spot and try and focus on those types of things rather than matchup stuff, because it does get so wonky late in the season. I need to kind of look at something that's got like a larger sample base. I think early in the season when the effort level is higher, I can focus more in on scheme and matchup and my numbers and all these types of things. But as it gets later in the year, I think I want to try and, and focus a little bit more on these historical trends. I want to ask you about this as somebody that focuses on those those types of trends year over year in large samples. One of the things that I've kind of I've done a lot whenever I'm doing trend markers, I start with 2014-15, and it's an arbitrary mark, but it's largely built off of the idea of okay, that's the first Steph Warrior season. Um, it's the first post LeBron. Miami season and it really it was you know Harden's first real run with Houston was that season to me that was kind of a turning point in the league where pace and space really did evolve the three-point volume that's when you started to see like a radical shift in that direction uh, I think some of that was hirings and firings in front offices and coaches and you started to see some new voices kind of come in for better or worse 
And so I tend to be pretty resistant to wanting to compare basketball in 2012 to basketball in 2022, but then you run into smaller sample spreads. So I want to kind of get your sense on when you're looking at, at those opportunities, how do you measure against how different the game was when some of these historical markers were part of the sample? I completely agree with your approach. I think 2014 is a very reasonable, yeah, comparing the game to what it was in 2012 or anything before 2012 is pretty much irrelevant at this point. So I I, I do agree with your logic there. 2014 seems like an excellent baseline. I, I've typically used 2017 at this point. And it's kind of tough because we had those two pandemic years that obviously throw a wrench in, in some of those, um, in some of that data and trends. Uh, but yeah, usually 2014 is a great baseline. I've used 2017 more recently because I think that's where you saw, you started to see the the scoring increase in 2014, but it started to stabilize around the 2017 mark. Okay. I like that. I like that. That's, that's, that's a helpful piece of, of information there. Um, the other thing I want to kind of talk about was the way that offense can impact defense. And what this gets into is uh, Denver, I think is a really good example of this. So Denver was a great under team at home last year. And that's because, in my opinion, their effort level was very high because they were very keyed in on these are the games that we want to win. I think every team wants to win at home. It's easier to win at home. But I think teams that are at Denver's level, they really found like a we're this is going to be part of our identity is we're going to be stellar at home. And like, how do you do that? We're going to give more effort defensively at home. Um, but on the road, they were much more of an over team. What I thought was funny is in in March they were ten and four to the uh, to the under in March, and what's funny about that is they quit on defense. They they beat the Grizzlies on March fourth, and then they were just like we're done, <laughs> you know. And and then that was a big part of why Jokic didn't win MVP was he tailed off and it gave people an excuse. And a lot of that was you saw all the highlights of like the Spurs tearing up Jokic in pick and roll coverage, but it wasn't just him. One of the reasons that Jokic got torched in pick and roll coverage, and don't get me wrong, he was dog shit, but one of the reasons that he got torched is the perimeter defenders weren't trying that hard either. The whole team basically took off. But here's the thing. A big part of of Denver's offense and their offensive efficiency was that they were one of the most elite transition offenses that we've seen in the last 20 years. If the opponent is scoring regularly, the Nuggets are taking the ball out of the basket. They're a slow-paced team anyway. But if you just make them take the ball out of the basket every single time and they're half-assing it, you start to see the Denver offense slow way down. And so we wound up hitting all these unders. And so like that's a situational spot there. The Warriors, I think, are another interesting one where – you, know, you talked about like you you don't want to base these short term trends. You don't want to start there, and you don't want to be too heavy on it. And I think that's that's correct. But there are certain things I think that I always say that every season for a team is its own. Like every team is a different organism every season. And the reason I kind of like happened on that is I would see teams be top ten in defense one year, eighteenth in defense next year, eighth in defense the year after. Like you see these swings with the same roster with the same coach because the guys just play differently sometimes. And there's other factors that, that go into it. There are injuries, there are coaching assistants and things like that. But in general, I do think you can have a a greater sample under a coach, but I think roster wise, 
there is kind of every season you have a little bit of a different identity. Boston last year was not nearly as good of a defensive team as they were the, the, the year prior. Statistically, they wound up being similar, but like everyone that kind of knew it was like, no, no, no. If when they play badly, their defense has a much lower floor. So there were some underspots or some overspots, pardon me, when that didn't happen. The Warriors, on the other hand, getting back to them, they were they were elite defensively at home. They were a great under team at home and a magnificent over team on the road because their defense just simply did not travel, whatever, and for these types of reasons. And I do think that by January, I think you will get a sense for that's one of the, the built-in identities of this team. I do think it takes till January. You need to have like 30 plus games in your pocket to get there. But I think that there is a point where we can at least identify these trends, if not as a reason to bet them. But it taught me one of the best things I did last year was learning when not to put bets in. And so it was like, hey, your overall numbers think that the Warriors, like this is an under here because the Warriors defense is going to be way better. But it's an away game. You need to be able to stay away there because Golden State's defense does not travel. Do you agree that like those kind of situational spots are important to understand in the context of a season, even with some of the sample issues? Yeah, absolutely. That's why you can't just ba- you can't just make a play off your baseline model. You have to take a right. look at some of these um, home away splits, um, uh, latest trends uh, to see because I mean that'll really show what the team's tendencies are, and and you got to b- build that in. And I love you know how you incorporate that um, the your, your commentary on how. The offense uh, affects the def- can impact the defense. That's that's a really interesting take and look, and that's not something that I would usually think about, but certainly something that I will go, um, in this upcoming season. All right, that's going to do it for Buckets. My thanks to Austin Wang for coming on with me. I finally got Austin on. Unfortunately, this is going to be his last few weeks with us contributing to Action Network. Um, but I'm real thankful for Austin for coming on and joining me and giving me his insight. You can follow Austin in the Action Network app. Make sure to download that. My thanks to producer David Payne. My thanks to our video team producers putting this thing together and putting it on YouTube. Austin, thanks so much for coming on, man. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. All right. Uh, later this week on Thursday, we'll have another episode for you. It's going to be Jay Money and Sean Little helping me out with how to bet NBA sides. Should be a lot of fun with those two. Make sure to check, check out that episode. We're rolling two episodes here for the next few weeks, getting you set for how to bet various things in the NBA season. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, let's get buckets. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.